Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Set Tools podcast by Infosec Campus. I couldn't actually do podcast for a month or so. Uh, was quite busy with Vegas Black Hat and Defcon events. Uh, well, I was in Black Hat and Defcon. I happened to meet a couple of guys there, and they were very kind enough to share their time to speak to a podcast. Anand has been in Infosec communities for a while. Um, I personally know Anand um, probably ten years or more. um and definitely he has a lot more to talk uh, to the infosec communities and especially the open source space let's hear from him hey anand um, so thanks uh, for joining the podcast we know for for a while maybe i don't know maybe lesser than 10 years now uh, i think we met in a conference and then yeah and we know what projects that we work on but probably we can start with your background how did you you start in infosec and then how it molded you so far all right so uh, i did not actually intended to start in infosec at all i was not even aware of uh, this specific field having such a larger impact so i was basically gunning for being a system and server administrator and after spending couple of years in that area uh, learning about it teaching uh, the server administration and actually doing the server administration uh, security seemed like a natural progression to what i was doing and that's how i moved into security uh, so uh, effectively i think around 2008 to 10 was the time frame when i did the transition from uh, being a full time server admin to being a part time infosec person and then joining a role where i was full time into information security so that's how the whole uh transition worked for me and uh anyone who has been in the development or administration field they basically feel this like a natural progression that yes uh, we're doing bits to secure our environment what else we can do how we can validate what we have done is right or wrong so that that seems like the natural approach to me yeah um so you started from uh, probably an administrator to uh, infosec and a lot of people do it from dev to infosec yes um and you have also mentored people in the same path either developers to infosec or ad- administrator to infosec also yeah um and uh, we probably know what uh, challenges a dev to infosec path faces and what are the challenges that you faced or what are the interesting things that you faced in a path where admin to infosec so the first bit is to uh, reduce the love for the devices yeah being a server admin you basically have a lot of passion about what you are building Uh, up to the level where uh, there was a time frame when we used to name devices so every device that we would have built up and established there would be a specific name for that device yeah. and the current culture where we are living in uh, getting too attached to an infrastructure is a problem for an administrator so the first challenge for me was to get rid of this whole addiction about loving the environment which i have built and looking at it from a third party party point of view and when that started happening that's when you start realizing okay these are the probable issues that are there and that's when you can start objectively approaching the solutions for everything yeah you used to build infrastructures or servers initially before you joined infosec and now also you do the pretty much uh, the same yeah. thing you are not out of uh, system administrator as far as i know yeah. what consideration do you take now when you build an infrastructure or devices so uh, point 1 uh, whatever stream you want and uh, whatever path you have taken to reach to infosec uh, i personally believe sticking to your roots so no matter what you are doing right now keep your roots constant so if you are a developer keep developing things if you are an admin keep diving into the administrative aspects so 
uh, I've moved from a uh, environment where I used to have the actual physical hardware in my uh, lab and building everything from that level to uh, right now I'm still trying to catch up with new things that are happening in the uh, administrative area or uh, what is now um, called as dev sec ops or yeah. dev test ops and bunch of different yeah. ops but effectively um, a lot of things have changed people have matured the whole approach towards the infrastructure things are much more easier nowadays with a lot of templating being done a lot of uh, mistakes that have happened mm-hmm. and publicly accepted so it's it's easier for people to uh, just go about building the infrastructure now uh, if you ask me personally what are the restrictions and what 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 has changed in the way i approach things so I remember back in the old days when I used to start the first thing I would do basically is uh, plant in a super user in every system and then just use that common user with common password everywhere to now living in an environment where every single machine of mine does not have sudo or administrative privilege to the default user so whatever user you're using to log in and perform any action does not have higher privileges and you start from the least privilege and then you go about expanding your privilege as and when required yeah and that's a, that, that i think is the core step when you do that when you stop giving unnecessary privileges to people to roles you work towards better secure infrastructure okay so let's talk about your projects that you you worked on so you started from a system admin background and then do you remember the first program that you wrote for security or for a normal automation purpose in your admin life I think the first program that I wrote is something which is not exactly a full-fledged program that I wrote. I basically modified a keylogger uh-huh. and I updated all that code on a public website, some distro jockey or something. So this was basically a keylogger, a C-based keylogger which was written. It had some bunch of flaws in it and there was no way to auto-start that particular program. So I basically wrote the code around making it auto-run on system startup. and start recording the keys and the flaw it have it basically had was uh, when you type something and when you press backspaces it used to actually do backspaces on the text file also so it will oh, erase okay. the last few characters oh that's bad so <laughs> so i just modified that code so that all your uh, these special keys will be printed as special keys being pressed right and that was it that that was the first code that i wrote after that a uh, I don't call myself a developer as an I've, I've not developed a large code bases but I basically do problem solving in POC yeah. uh, generally so if you have an issue if you are facing any uh, troubling area that's when I step in I design a POC and that's it yeah. I may not be able to design a scalable solution but I'll be able to give you a solution which works right. at that point right. at that situation yeah Um, I have used Android Temo multiple times. It made life easy. Um, building uh, any time, building an operating system for testing purposes, let it be mobile or infra or web, it's a pain because you need to actually compile a lot of code and it it spends a lot of time. Probably my first year of assessment will be spent on building the the boxes for testing, and then maybe the second day onwards I'll be able to do that. but and temo makes the life more easier how did that concept came in and i'm sure that you also know a lot of other projects maybe similar way for example kali uh, yeah. or any other project similar um have this the the this the same the purpose is same for all those operating systems yeah. and you made it a more uh active way i would say as in 
these are the tools that actually required and precisely for uh, web application. Uh, sorry, mobile applications. Um, how did that concept start? So uh, I've been dabbling with live CD customizations in those areas since the start of my admin uh, days because for any administrator that's like bread and butter. You need ways to get onto a system without having a working environment. So you need live CDs, you need bunch of different ways. So I've been dabbling with that area. Uh, like you mentioned, Kali and bunch of other distributions are existing. But uh, when I started Android Tamer, and this was I think in 2010. Yeah, quite, that's long, when, quite a long project. Yes. Yeah, that, that's when I basically thought about this. And it, it was exactly the same problem that you just yep. mentioned, that I spent one day trying to build that whole environment and then doing the actual work. And that for me was a waste of time. And I realized it's not just me wasting that time. Collectively, everyone in the world may be wasting a whole year in a in very quick amount of time just in setting up the environment. So why not build something which they can just directly use and get done with it? Yeah. So that was one aspect. The other area, uh, like you mentioned, that I still dabble around with the administrative aspects. So this is my way of being connected with the administrative <laughs> field still. So I still compile packages, I still make packages, I read about how the whole structure should be and what are the changes that are happening. And this this is my connect with the older way of working. Yeah, kind of nostalgia maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, the other aspect with Android Tamer was uh, not just a single application or the environment that needs to be built, but because Android pen testing and Android security per se uh, was mainly a ghetto movement kind of thing. It, it There was no organization in it. Yeah. No one had any clues, any straight path. So one person, one fine day comes up and say, hey, I want to do this. I'll do it in Perl. The other person comes up, hey, I can do it better, but I'll do it in Python too. And then there'll be another guy who will be doing it in Ruby X version, then Y version, and then Z version. And uh, what you realize at the end of the day is all those tools are actually required. Because one might be doing things in A manner, the other might be doing it in B manner, and you might want to see how both the approaches work. Yeah. So as a tester, as a uh, security professional, you need access to all those tools. But getting all those environments set up and working properly seamlessly where one setup does not break the other, that is a real challenge. Yeah. So. I thought maybe my speciality in building the POCs, making the whole environment work, would come in handy for everyone. And that that's how I basically started with Android Tamer. Yeah, I mean, the idea of uh, orchestrating the whole bunch of tools out there without breaking one another is, is pretty much a big challenge. Yes. And you need a very specific skill set to build it and then make sure that it doesn't break and then work uh, in, in a proper way. Um, for... Um, during the development uh, phases, uh, all to, because it's, it's been like what ten years now for Android Tamer. No, Android Tamer, it's been around uh, seven, eight years. Seven, eight Two thousand ten is when the idea came in. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so, w what's the most important challenge that you faced, or do you have any any special experience while developing it? So, I've kind of grown uh, the entire. I've seen the entire life cycle uh, while developing it. So, uh, the first version that I released was basically me launching a virtual machine, mm. configuring everything by hand, and just ensuring, praying to God that everything works. And then when, once everything is fine, just take a snapshot, 
export that snapshot make it available to everyone now if everyone wants to update anything they need to download the entire OVA again yeah uh, then I realized hey this works for US this maybe works for EU but anything other than that where you don't have that much bandwidth to download like 8 GBs of uh, data on a monthly basis it's a huge pain in the ass so the better approach for me that worked was uh, to build the packages make it modular and work with it so I spent a lot of time and the the other thing more of a philosophical approach around it is that I didn't wanted the project to die with me yeah so I wanted the project to live so I started with an open approach so everything that I do as part of building the whole Android Tamer system every single shell script that I've written every single automation that I've done is publicly available on github yeah so if if for whatever reasons I stop working on this someone else can just git clone those repos and they have a fair bit of an idea how to get started yeah uh, uh, do you maintain those package updates or you rely on the uh, whatsoever application package managers are using um, so there, there are two angles i rely on debian as my core mm. so any of the uh, core os related updates they come from debian directly Okay. Because I personally believe managing security updates mm, yeah. single-handedly is going to be tricky for me and uh, would be injustice for everyone else also. That's true. So I'll rely on Debian being the solid base to provide all the base core updates. Mm. And then I basic, basically slap in my own uh, repository on top of Debian repositories. And this one provides updates to all the tools that are appearing. Mm. So uh, be it Zap, be it any other tool which is not available in Debian, that's what I package and make make available. Okay, um, and then um, how, how did you um, keep up the updates? Oh yeah, that that's a tricky thing to manage, but uh, for most of them, another bits of automation because you can't single-handedly look yeah. for all updates. Right. So what I've uh, come down to is I basically started tracking how how these softwares are releasing updates. Most of them are hosted on GitHub. Yes, and. Uh, Goodness uh, is in the part of the developers that they are releasing uh, software versions by uh, release tags. Yeah. So there is an automation that is built in. So whenever there is a release tag added by a software, there is a new issue that opens up in my uh, Android Tamer repositories. So I get to know that yes, there is another new release that has come up. Mm. And then uh, the whole automation is built in. I just have to invoke that automation. It will automatically rebase the repository perform the build actions or packaging actions and a new uh, dev file will be available that just uh, that just needs to be added into the repository yeah that makes life actually more easier because yeah, it's, it's uh, as you mentioned in the beginning like collectively if we take um, every single hours uh, we spend on building those systems it would end up maybe one another year yeah. Um, and yeah projects like this definitely make sense um, in a lot of way um, especially for a lot of consultants who actually work for like maybe a, a mobile application testing for one day and maybe yeah. the one the first day is actually very challenging uh, yeah. to get it running uh, that's great um, tell me about your other projects I know in person that I've you worked on like a bunch of other things uh, you're pretty much a good multitasker I can't keep up with that uh, but yeah tell me something about your other projects uh, that you're working on so there are a bunch of different things that I generally start so 
just to give you a background uh, there was a point in time when i had like 20 domains registered because <laughs> i wanted to start 20 different projects but uh, two projects which basically worked well for me was one the android tamer project the other one being code vigilant project mm. so a uh, code vigilant was again a very trivial thing about it is uh, i was planning to do something around code review and i was attending null meet at bangalore and uh, there's this another chap praja 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 so there are two there is prajal and there is prajal and okay, you get okay. confused between the two so prajal gulkarni was uh, also there and we were basically just uh, discussing this uh, that hey i want to do something around uh, code reviews and what what i can do how i can do that and uh, this guy was like hey i'm also interested in this why not we do something together and that's when the idea came in that yeah we can do something together but then we both are uh, so prajal has a background into uh, pure infosec i have a background into administration and infosec N- uh, none of us are developers by nature so reading code by hand is not going to cut it mm. so we thought about automating everything so all the bugs that you see on code vision web page or a bunch of them which are undisclosed yet all of them were found via automated means okay. so we picked up a language which was php at that point and we looked at what is the largest code base which we can scan in bulk and we figured out the largest code base could be wordpress and wordpress plugins okay so we downloaded the entire set of wordpress plugin repositories another set of automations around it not done anything yeah. manually so we had like 33000 plugins each at least having one page of php code yeah and then we figured out some basic regular expressions which can pick up uh, flaws like for example if there is an echo and there is dollar underscore get can point to an xss scenario True. if there is sql inject uh, the sql functionality mysql function calls plus dollar underscore get or dollar underscore post there is a chance that i may have an sql injection scenario so the first part was to filter out all these pick out the juicy bits and then uh, just do some testing around it identify what works what does not works and uh, you will not believe it uh, if i give you the numbers uh, 3 days down the line uh, when we started this we had around 500 xss around 30 35 possible sql injections and then as a side product we also had uh, local file inclusions remote file inclusions and bunch of other issues it took more time for us to validate them and then report them then actually finding them mm-hmm. so code vigilant uh, became like a project for me where i'll basically hunt for bugs by looking at source code so you may call it source code assisted pen testing yeah. or you may call it uh, just grepping through the source code and yeah. figuring out what more of works. a white, bo- white box approach more yeah. of a white box approach but uh, the other aspect which helped me with code vigilant was interacting with the developers and getting weird responses to the level where uh, someone would be hey thanks a lot for uh, helping me this is the update that i'm planning to push can you validate mm. to the level how the hell did you touched my code mm. you don't have any yeah. rights yeah so the entire spectrum was there and that still exists i think everyone who has reported bugs would have fe- felt the entire yeah. spectrum so uh, the good part there was uh, because of the whole wordpress community getting involved uh, we had some good uh, responses and people were appreciative about it uh, yeah so that that's part one of it part two is something i'm still working on 
there are a bunch of code bases i want to look at but then again i don't want to do anything uh, step by as uh, in manually everything so i'm still trying to build an automation around it maybe it takes 3 years to build that automation but once it's done it will be automated yeah. and then everyone else can get benefit out of it yeah uh, most of uh, infosec people i mean lot of them actually write code uh, though they are they, they definitely don't claim themselves as developers uh, i think mo- neither the developer themselves don't claim themselves as developers most of the times um uh, probably if you stop uh, uh, stack overflow or google then they are <laughs> they are they are in like yeah. in a very big crunch um when when you write code especially on a problem solving perspective um um what do you look at i mean you look at um scaling the uh, solutions to a massive problems or you so for example if i want to write code for a one sol- one problems i can write maybe a normal of the smallest piece of shell script and i can finish that yeah. um do you approach in like in a making a like a very very particular modular solutions or you consider it like larger space so this again comes down to what is the requirement at hand yeah so if i know for a fact that the code that i'm going to build is going to run only in five machines for the entire lifespan of say 100 years and that five is the max count that it is going to go building a whole scalable architecture with uh, the uh, what are the new words the immutable infrastructure yeah. <laughs> and uh, the uh, scalability and load balancing does not makes any sense okay. okay so the first point of call is always what is the problem at hand what is the maximum scale we can think of and then maybe double that tum- number yeah so let's say you you want to build a, a web application which performs x number of tasks and you are expecting 100 people to be using it at max mm. so why not scale it up to 200 so that's double the number so even if it spikes you have that covered mm. and then build the solution according to that environment yeah uh, nowadays the the problem that i see with most of the approaches is they start with an idea that hey it's going to be big data it's mm. going to be massive scale and then they end up building so much technical debt around it that they can't actually work on the real problem yeah like if you can get done with an sqlite db you don't need a mongodb runner True. and that's something people have hard time understanding yeah. that use the right tool at the right time to get the right task done yeah if you just concentrate on no i want it to be done in this particular manner things won't work out yeah and personal example for me is uh, so this is 2018 i started using linux in 2000 mm. so it's been 18 years using linux there are uh, there were there was a time frame when i used to only use linux for everything yeah and i would be adamant about it now i am not going to use windows i'm not going to use mac right now i'm living in an environment where i have two macs uh, lying next to me and i use them like regular uh, laptops yeah i have all of my servers on linux i have windows boxes also i administer them i monitor them i build python i mean i have never imagined myself writing powershell code <laughs> but i do that also now yeah so it it all boils down to use the right tool for the right time and don't get stuck with i only know this so i'm only going to use this okay so you're not stuck with like okay don't don't go for maybe okay we want moving towards uh, golang so you want so you also pick up no golang so like uh, i want to learn golang mm. i want to learn rust also mm. and i think there are 20 different dialects of java that i want to learn yeah. on but uh, again boils down to do you actually need it yeah 
so go uh, on its own very good very efficient for a lot of different things but i think i can do most of that task using python until and unless i am getting into that whole global lock thing and mm. uh, the parallel execution issues i can get uh, stuff done with python so why go with another language stress the environment with another set of unknown variables right. when you have a ha- handle over something okay so that that mainly points to the fact that um, you need to know what you're going to build and how you're going to solve it very accurately before choosing what technology that you yeah so uh, th- there are two angles one uh, again problem statement if the problem statement says that this environment can only have x language in it then that is what you will you need yeah, to use so if that is not there build with your strengths because yeah. you know what you're going to do yeah for example if someone gives me uh, a challenge to write something in python or ruby i'll pick python because i'm familiar with it yeah i can build the code in ruby also but then it becomes more of a, a copy paste exercise mm. from stack overflow searching for specific keywords and then figuring it out yeah but uh, with python i may be able to do things on my own okay like for example uh, ruby so i have contributed a bit on the uh, null uh, platform which is swachalit hmm. uh, now all the contributions that i have done uh, the developer also knows this for a fact all i have done is basically taken a copy paste of his existing code modified variables in that and i've got my code running yeah yeah so that that's purely uh, problem solving skills exactly yeah. um so i mean lot of people actually go go after the top listed trends buzzwords for yeah. example like like you mentioned like okay, now the trend is more over like mongodbs or golang right. or parallel pro- computings and things like that and people go to a du- that directions and say that okay i build code in golang rather than saying that i solve that particular problem yes um and one thing that i've noticed in most of your projects is you involve community rather than being a solo performer um in the projects which is something that giving life to it every times because every, everyone talk about it everyone keep contributing it and you push that contribution part too much yes um how relevant is that to you uh, and how difficult is that to you at the uh, same time it is difficult because i'm someone who prefers doing things on my way yeah and then when someone contributes they may not be doing things in my way but then that's the humbling part you get to realize that your way is not the right way all the time yeah there are other approaches to the same problem and those can also work out yeah and the other aspect of it is uh, it's a trivial thing again uh, so while i got started with the whole community activities uh, there was some tragedy at home and i i saw some deaths hmm. and that basically kicked in a thought in my mind i'm doing all of this what if tomorrow i'm not there yeah everything goes off so how can i ensure that anything that i'm building for everyone else to use sustains and survives yeah so every time whenever i'm building software that that is one thought process that comes in mind don't make it dependent on you hmm. so things should work if you do not exist also yeah if that is the thought process then things would basically start working on a, on its own yeah for some reasons lot not um a lot of uh, open source projects are not built in that approach uh, i would say um, it's not wrong or it's not right um, it's like everyone's personal it's choices how to make it decisions yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's great to see uh, in the initial stage itself for a particular projects that you work on 
uh, you I, I would see people involved get involved in the projects and then it becomes something another massive success yeah um, and that's pretty much more than the project success that's what a community uh, drives drive for um, great um, and then I, I, I also know that you do a lot of mentorship programs um, yep. uh, back in India um, and definitely influences a lot of people in India to, to get into infosec um, and then probably do another piece of their work go online and it becomes another hit um, uh, from your experience uh, how did these mentorship works how how somebody can approach you I mean, I, I'm okay for this I know Anant is super approachable send him a ping on Twitter or LinkedIn or or I don't know what whatever mediums and he's definitely approachable but yeah so uh, first point about uh, why I do these mentorships and uh, what it's a very simple concept I have learned everything by reading stuff which other people wrote. Yep. I have learned because other people basically wrote about it, talked about it and discussed that information. So the same is what I'm doing. If I received something, I'm just ensuring that the next generation also gets the details. Uh, now, as far as approachability is concerned, uh, I am available in almost all the uh, social media channels. Yeah. Uh, the only request from my side would be I am generally not active socially. Okay. <laughs> I am active on social networks professionally. So if you send me a hi, I will never respond back. But if you send me, hey, I'm stuck here, this is my problem, I will be inclined to respond to that. So I am not interested in hi, hello, how are you, what, what is going on, and you look good or I look bad. But I'm more interested in, uh, yeah, I have a technical challenge, I need help in that. Right. So that's that's the only uh, thing that is there and uh, I think I've been pretty clear about it with almost everyone whosoever wants to approach can approach and it's not just that I am mentoring on my own uh, uh, like the study program that I've started in uh, Nal Bhopal uh, I am not mentoring anyone I am basically leveraging my contacts with people like Sanup and people like other uh, people who are working in the community in the industry and connecting them with students who are interested in learning. Mm -hmm. Because what I felt about the InfoSec community at least is, if they find a bunch of enthusiastic folks who want to learn, people are interested in teaching them. Yeah. So that's where I act like a bridge. So this is the set of people who want to learn and this is the person who is interested in teaching. So connect both of them and the end result could be something totally wonderful. Yeah. Like for example, uh, this instance, so uh, this was first run for study group. So we basically had, uh, again, number wise, it does not look good at all. Mm. So we had like 20 or 30 odd students starting in study groups. Oh, that's a good number. And they, they all dropped off. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we ended up with, I think, four or five of them uh -huh. actually going through the whole six month process. Okay. But those four or five who actually survived the six months of process where they basically had different objectives that they themselves decided that in six months I'll study this much. And the mentors were basically just uh, egging them in the right directions. Mm. Uh, the four or five who basically reached the deadline, they made it good. Like uh, they're doing talks, they're doing presentations, they're doing research on their own now. The IoT group, uh, one of the guy basically uh, jumped into GSOC. Hmm. Uh, so he uh, is a student in GSOC this year. Oh, nice. The other, uh, uh, there's another lady, she basically uh, started working in IoT and J JTAG uh, stuff. Oh, okay. 
all that even though i'm an electronics graduate i still have hard time grasping what is going on there okay but they're doing good stuff i can get it because they are able to get a router from my place just open it up in front of me extract the firmware get the root password out of it ssh into that box within a matter of say 30 minutes okay so i know they're doing something good yeah and uh, then these skills if these students have developed at an early age while they are undergraduates it will help them immensely because if i look back at my education and everything i would be like hey if i had access to these set of resources yeah. when i was in my undergraduate years i would have been at a different place right now yeah and uh, so null community you are also involved yeah. in that and uh, the kind of repository that we have built is something i am very proud of and it's just a matter of ensuring the right people who need those skill set get to the resources and both of them are mutually getting benefits mm-hmm. uh, so the the nal bopal uh, study group how somebody can so what's the process of getting enrolled in it and uh, it's a very very localized group that i've built okay. but uh, the whole idea is to have it available at every nal chapter mm. uh, the process should be very straightforward uh, uh, the reason i'm saying should be is because i have not uh, got the chance to establish it as a null process per se okay so right now it's a very very le- um, localized thing that is happening so basically i'll uh, send a note out and discuss it over whatsapp or other channels so null bhopal has multiple uh, social media presences so we will basically ask people who are in bhopal mm. to basically suggest what are their topics of interest okay so if there are say five people who have said i like python uh, another five who have said i like iot so then i'll find one mentor who can teach python or who has good handle over python and is working in industry similarly for iot i'll find one person or two person who are interested in teaching others who are in the industry and are working uh, mm. for some time and then i'll connect uh, both of them but then uh, there is one consideration that i've kept uh, it's one thing mentoring everyone it's another thing mentoring a student yeah where uh, the whole uh, idea about time management is a bit foreign to them mm. why i'm saying this is because uh, while you are a student uh, sending a whatsapp message at 2 am in the mm. morning is fine yeah that's how we communicate yeah but uh, when your mentor is maybe sitting in a different time zone altogether or uh, is only available over weekends it gets difficult yeah so the simple consideration for students is it's a study group five or six of you are going to study together mm. the mentor does not gets into the picture okay you study together you define the objectives you work towards those objectives pick out chunks of work that you want to do and do it and then share that knowledge with others mm. so you start working in a team yeah. and then if you are stuck if google is not helping if any other search engine any other reference is not helping that's when you contact mentor with a very very clear and precise email or message that hey this is what we have done this is where we are stuck how can we move yeah. forward so if you have seen that um, how to ask smart questions yeah true just go through that ask a single smart question get the answer and get moving yeah. so mentor is there to basically uh, so let's say you have a road and you're just walking on that road if there's a stone which is blocking your path mentor is there to just remove that stone and that's it yeah you have to walk the path 
yeah that's a lot of filter uh, filtering process in the initial stage yes for um yeah i mean as you as you clearly mentioned that we um we gone through a study phase or an academic phase yeah. where we we had lesser resources or no resources at the most of the yeah. times and then we had a hard time to pick subject up and you're filling that gap with these kind of uh, programs and we also find uh, find this is smart approach because um sometimes mentors or people who are interested to mentor other people or or guide them um with what resources they have will not get the right student or yes. maybe the right student don't get the right mentors and this is exactly what's the problem and that you're trying to solve and that's great exactly um and i wish that course uh, spread across all other chapters and maybe beyond yeah. uh, just now beyond chapters, now, but yeah, yeah. Uh, anywhere uh, this is this is great initiative so the the 6 months program or is it like a strict 6 uh, months program the 6 months they 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 try to solve like one problems or and no, so uh, the, the reason for 6 months is because that's the length of a semester i see okay so that's so it's more I've for a college it, grads yeah. or yeah it, because I it's mean, for yeah. college grads so i've kept yeah. it with semester wise okay. because the other problem is uh, we professionals live by the timetable of five working days and then two holidays mm-hmm. the graduation undergrads basically live by the uh, timetable of uh, the first day of the uh, semester and the last and day. the last day of the semester yeah. and then there is a one month or two month of gap where they go go back home wherever that is and then come back fresh yeah and uh, if you keep the study thing continuously that Two months time frame is going to wipe everything off. True. So the idea is to confine the thing within that learning time frame, mm-hmm. so you have less distractions and you get things sorted. But uh, there's no specific restrictions. Okay. Uh, so my idea is, hey, I've got uh, like let's say in Bhopal we have around 120, 150 colleges. So people don't even know that there may be another person interested in the same topic in the college next door, yeah. but they don't know about it. So this is where the other uh, grouping comes in. So all these people may be in separate colleges. So I've got all of them together. For six months, they had a mentor who was helping them. It does not means that they need to stop after six months. Okay. They can keep continuing uh, that whole thing. Okay. And and a lot of times, I am expecting things to fail. Mm. The estimations that I am going to study X, Y, Z topic. may not fulfill at all yeah but we have set them on a path okay where they can they know how to work with teams they know how to collaborate and they 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 made friends who are interested in that same topic mm. and finding that kind of a group is something i think everyone who has graduated maybe 5 or 10 years back would recognize as a very very good opportunity we were struggling with finding people of liking interest mm. and if you find that it just gives us a kick off yeah excellent um i think that's that's great uh, initiative and i wish that actually expands all over the world yeah uh with a lot of students will get get uh, approached i mean they they get a chance to enroll into it and yeah. they get successful results and it's a great uh, uh initiative for the mentors also because we don't get questions like how do i hack my girlfriend's account anymore <laughs> uh, we hope that never happens in your Uh great great Anand great to speak with you same here Thanks everyone for listening to the podcast um see you next time